This is episode 07 of Free as in Freedom for Tuesday, January 18th, 2011. Hi, I'm Karen Sandler. And I'm Bradley Kuhn. This is Free as in Freedom. See, I chimed in there as I was I, supposed to. I know. I'm, I'm trying to. Fi- so, so somebody wrote in and said that that my volume changes during the episode, and so I'm like staring at the mic, trying to make sure that my volume is the same and my distance from the mic is the same and angle to the mic is the same. The guy said he was going to have a car accident because of it and stuff. So <laughs> I'm kind of worried. Really? I didn't yeah, see that yeah, one. Actually, yeah, it was emailed to us. He, he said that. He had to keep changing the volume. Multiple emails, uh, basically encouraging me not to interrupt you and your uh, and your asides. Oh, the rants. The various. They're not always rants, but just little, little diversions. I haven't even talked to Fab yet about Ranto Fabicum. <laughs> I guess he's heard. I don't know if he's heard it. He probably would have said something. Maybe mm. he heard. It. He probably hasn't I heard he that one. Yeah. I apologize to you, listeners, for um, I'm getting over a cold, so I may sound funny. Okay. Um, I mean, so, not funny, haha, but you don't sound funny. Funny, strange. Um, so, <laughs> do you want to do our corrections first? Let's do our corrections first. In reverse chronological order? Sure. Or for which one? Reverse? Reverse. Okay. So, on the previous show, Freeism Freedom 06, I uh, said that. FSF's, uh, well, actually, uh, Kweber, who wrote in, Christopher Allen Weber wrote in to say, you said in this episode that the FSF's policy is that once assignment is done, the entire code base must be assigned to FSF, uh, and you didn't know of any other exceptions. Uh, so Bradley was just looking at his computer, so if the volume changed, <laughs> that's why. So uh, Kweber is actually correct that, 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 that there have been exceptions to that. Uh, there have been occasional assignments of some code that was for another project to FSF. And his example is some of the status.net code, which runs Identica and status.net, not surprisingly, um, specifically for use in GNU Social, which is a uh, social networking uh, application built on top of status.net. Some of that code is assigned to FSF, although the entire status.net code base is not, obviously. Um, I, I don't know of any exceptions that are specifically for GNU projects, right? So status.net is obviously not a GNU project. I think pretty much every GNU project that is assigned to FSF is wholly assigned, except for the kinds of minor exceptions that are made on a case-by-case basis, like we talked about in episode 06. Uh, but it is true that there FSF occasionally accepts assignments uh, that when developers just say, hey, I want to assign to the FSF on this random program, mm. and that's accepted sometimes. Um, I don't know how FSF makes those decisions. I, I have no idea. <laughs> Basically, it's probably on a case-by-case basis. So Uh, so that's that correction. And then... Oh, and then the other correction that we had is actually, um, it's a correction we've been meaning to make for a few episodes already. And that was, um, I don't remember which uh, episode it was, but the episode... The episode 04? 04, um, where we we talked about conferences and um, appropriate and potentially sexist behavior at conferences. We talked about, um, which conference was it? Do you remember? It was an OSCON. It was an OSCON. We we talked about a um, an event at OSCON where it wasn't a, it wasn't an OSCON event. No, but it was an event by an organization. Did we say the organization's no. name? Okay, um, where we said that um, that there were women that were hired to be at the party. I think we we intimated that there were women that were hired to be at the party, and that basically the article that we were talking about referred to um, 
hired strippers at that party. And we said we didn't think they were strippers. Um, but um, but that these there were these women there, and it, and it was uncomfortable. And well, and the whole community thought that they had been hired for some period mm-hmm. of time. But, but they, it turns out that they actually were, um, and this makes perfect sense. They were um, they were basically working in the bar and um, uh, unrelated to the event that was being held there. And uh, and all the bar's employees were allowed to go to the event, and the event was open to the public anyway. Um, and so these women came, and and T-shirts were being given away by the organization and so these women not only were at the party um you know sort of circulating but also were wearing t-shirts that had the names of the organization on it making it look like they had in fact been hired in the old the old booth babes model um but in fact they um they were just attending and they were they were exuberant off-duty yeah uh, bar we were thinking workers. great free party free drinks and um you know people to free talk t-shirts to. too free t-shirts put too, on which, top of their own clothes to me, so. i don't i can't <laughs> i don't i don't want any more t-shirts any well maybe sometimes the t-shirts i've never understood putting on a t-shirt right when you get it either that some people do that and that's a little weird. I, I never understood that well i think they liked it and i think you know i I don't know. I, I, I think it led to a very confusing situation. And I'm actually really glad we were able to correct that one because I think there was a lot of misunderstanding there. And it's just, it's a very complex issue. Yeah. And people are correcting to internets about, well, I'm not correcting exactly, but they're informing to internets about your work. As it turns out. Oh, right. Speaking of things that um, listeners have written into us, someone pointed out that, um, that uh, uh, a commenter referred to, um, the the medical devices paper that uh, SFLC put out, killed by code, in a um, CDNet UK blog um, called "Which OS for Critical um, for Life Critical Applications," which is by Apex WM, uh, January thirteenth. I wonder who that is. Um, and it, it's really and. I think it's it's kind of a, a an interesting little um, little post because it talks about how. Um, the author was in a, uh, a hospital situation and saw error messages on the computers that were being used to log information by uh, doctors and nurses about patients. And um, it was a, a Windows error message. And his point was, you know, why, why are they using um, Windows, uh, which, you know, has obvious bugs? And not only that, they're putting up with the fact that every time they want to use their machines, they have to hit OK on a, on a Windows bug. And, um, you know, it raises all sorts of interesting issues. I think that one thing that the article doesn't mention is that, um, is that, you know, while there are all sorts of reasons why, you know, a, a free and open system is beneficial. And we talked about that in an earlier episode. And I certainly talk about it in the paper, you know, just because, um, just because the device or the system that you're using for this society critical function is based on free and open source software doesn't mean that it also won't have bugs. And that's not discussed in circle. That's actually a point that you always make when we talk yeah, about this. I, I think that, that it's dangerous. And this is sort of the classic open source argument that I think is dangerous, this idea that bugs aren't there if you're using this kind of software or easier to find necessarily. They aren't necessarily easier to find. Uh, no, they are more likely to be found over time than a closed system. I mean, that's... It's probably true, although with really complex bugs, it could just sort of be equally hard uh, because you get down to the point where it's very difficult to find a bug. It's like this this Android bug I commented. But on the that truth recently. is that once once there's a, once there's a problem with the way that the um, the system is behaving or the device is behaving, 
uh, you know, you can, you can find the bug a lot more readily if you know what the problem is. So, you know, having, um, I mean, there are a lot of advantages, obviously. Well, we don't have to rely <laughs> on one party. That's certainly uh -huh. true. So That's you don't have to rely on one party, but also, you know, uh, no, I mean, I think there is something to the fact that if there is a problem, then debugging becomes a lot, it becomes a completely different process than maybe looking at fresh for errors. In the worst case, you have to assume that nobody knows the code well enough to even know what to look for. But it does mean you can pick whoever you want. I mean, obviously, this is sort of the pathological case, but it's happening with Android right now. This bug about the SMS sending stuff, the code's all there up on Google's site. Nobody, it's a critical bug. Nobody has found it yet mm -hmm. because it's a weird interaction bug between like eight different yeah. the notification systems and all this other stuff in Android that they all interact weird. Yeah, I mean, and we do say this in our paper that there's no guarantee that bugs will be found, but over time, there's a chance that it, they can be. Whereas if the, you know, if the code's not published, then there's no way that anybody else will be able to find out what's that, wrong. That's certainly true. It's, it's, it's necessary, but not sufficient conditions. That's, well, that's really we, my point. And we is, publish a good amount of statistics that show that, uh, that bugs, that more bugs are found over time mm -hmm. in, um, in free and open systems. That's probably true. Um, but it's not guaranteed in any specific case. It's one of these things where you have something statistically true over a large sample set which it is true over a large sample set. But any particular bug, i.e. the bug that kills you, mm -hmm. might not be one of those. And it's funny because the whole, um, you know, the point of this, or the, the example in this article of having the error message um, on the screen come up, you know, is something that, you know, how many times have you been somewhere like, an airplane and had a system reboot or, you know, somewhere and had a public screen be rebooted and see, you know, and 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 see a, a non-window or you know see a, a GNU Linux screen and and say oh <laughs> that's you know it, it's usually a Windows um, error message because well for a whole host of reasons but not the least of which is that they're more widely deployed like you would see more GNU Linux errors if. You know, if they were more widely deployed, because they're—I mean, software has bugs. That's another thing yeah. we cover the in the paper. The classic example that people give for that, though, is actually not correct. It's the Delta in-flight system. People always point out that when the plane goes up, they see Linux rebooting, and that somehow that's a bug. In fact, they cut the power to the thing, and I don't know of any computer that doesn't reboot. So it when was you Delta. Cut its I power. couldn't remember what airline it was that it's I Delta, saw but, it on. But yeah, but the thing is, is that is that the only time I've ever seen that on a Delta flight is when the the the, the they don't actually turn the key off like in a car, but when they turn the engine <laughs> completely off and there's no power because there's that split second when the when the, when you start to pull away from the gate when they reset all the power systems. The power goes out. I don't think that if when I saw it, it was in that situation. I think I saw it mid-flight or something like that. But you know, the entertainment but, systems on the planes always like they always have problems if they work at all. Yeah. Well, and also you don't know if the if the power was cut, then it's a completely legitimate reboot. That's the point. No matter what operating system it is, so you don't know if that. Yeah. Well, in if flight, it's a reboot screen, that's not the same as an error message. Yeah. But. But anyway, so it was it was really cool if whoever posted the um the it's the very first comment to this post is um is a link to uh the Killed by Code medical Harris devices Selden. paper. Harris Selden, thank it's you. It's Harris Eldon, actually, I think. Oh, yeah. yeah. He sent us an email. Thank too, you. So we could actually get his name right oh, if we that's weren't just great. looking if we weren't just looking at this. Um anyway, we'll link to the article in the show notes. Oh no, I I'm sorry. Somebody else sent us the email. Somebody else sent us the email. Yeah. And he didn't say whether he wanted to be identified, actually. Right, so but um, but thank you. So um, that's corrections and news watching or whatever it is we just did. Um, so do you want to take a break and then we'll talk about something 
Yep. More show length. Be right back. I'm supposed to start and I'm starting. Okay. <laughs> That's fine. I, I um, so, uh, so I saw you quoted in an article. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad uh, I, you know, and I actually have to say that I'm, I'm glad that I was a lot of times when I get quoted, quoted in the IT press, um, I, people have heard me rant about how the tech press is not, is not always good about this kind of stuff. Yeah. The quotes are misattributed, all sorts of stuff. This was actually, I've had that happen to me too. But this, actually, this article written by Sam Vargas, it, it quoted me absolutely correctly. It was like no ambiguity. He didn't like misquote me or he basically quoted the full large pieces of the email that I sent to him. Actually, I sent two emails in reply to some of his inquiries and, and he attributed me right and everything was good. Was I, there a typo in there actually? Um, the, the PL thing. Yeah. That I, um, actually I haven't checked. If actually, that was, sorry. Let's step so. back and say what it is. We, so, we do this uh, we'll all link, the time. <laughs> we'll link to it in the show notes if people want to go read the article first, but for those who aren't near a computer or something where they can get to the show notes right away, um, there was this issue. They actually was covered on slash dot first regarding someone who said they GPL'd something, um, um, and then said they were taking it back, and there was a lot of confusion. It's a, it's a some sort of Windows uh, utility. I actually mm-hmm. don't even know what it does, uh, because it's one of these things where it's almost like a legal issue where the where the d- details of what it is doesn't matter. It's actually the meta stuff that. What's happened. it called? WinMRT Win or something MRT, like that? Yeah, I, I mean, by its name, I thought it was something to do like a, a Windows version of what my traceroute does, but I don't think that's what it actually is. But the funny thing is, is what the program does doesn't really matter. It was this issue that it was said to have been released under GPL. Then some people were saying that it was the uh, the person who released it was revoking it, which was the primary author. And it got a slash dot story, which caused a bunch of slash dot people to say what slash dot people. Sometimes I say. really love slash dot and sometimes I really hate yeah. slash so dot. A, yeah. So when, when MTR is a network diagnostic tool hmm. um, that runs on Windows. Um, uh, amusingly now, uh, uh, maybe I'll get to that at the end. Uh, but, uh, so, so the slash dot story basically was saying this guy said he released under GPL and now he's trying to take it back. And, I, and, and because I got a press inquiry about it, I went and researched the whole thing and, and all I found was confusion, uh, which kind of disheartens me because basically I've been trying to educate on issues like this and things that I think are just such simple questions. Well, it's kind of par for the course. And I think we, you and I had this realization together some time ago. We, um, we assume that everybody is used to hearing all the issues that we talk about all the time because we talk about them every day and we talk with people who are quite sophisticated about these issues. But, um, but in fact, it, you know, uh, when we wind up going and, for example, giving our introduction to legal issues talk, it's, uh, it's really well received. Yeah, because it's new to some people. Yeah, I mean, because people are really happy to to get that in, get that information, and so many more people are interested in that information than we had initially anticipated, because we're just so used to dealing with people who are are so familiar with these issues. Now, I think probably most of our listeners are are somewhat sophisticated. Well, but I'll explain the issue uh, and give people sort of a context of what this was about. So. This is this has actually happened probably I want to say maybe four or five times uh, over my free software career, sort of starting it at somewhere in '96 ish timeframe. I've seen this happen where somebody enthusiastically releases something under the GPL initially uh, because they want to put it out there and then they regret it. It's somebody who's perhaps new to free software, didn't fully understand the implications of it, of what or something like that, and they try to somehow take it back. And that's where the confusion comes in because 
there, there's sort of two things you could mean by trying to take back GPLing thing, something, one of which you really can't do, and one of which you kind of can do. So the thing that you can do is you're never mandatorily required to distribute things under GPL. Like if I give Karen a distribution of any old GPL program and she has it, you can be sitting there using it, Karen, right? And you can have it and so forth. I but, might right now. Right. But there's nothing in the GPL, right, that says you must give that to somebody else or nope. distribute it to somebody else. You could just use it by yourself forever. In fact, it's one of the. I think it's one of the the basic principles behind the GPL. Uh, well, the the right to private use and not being required to publish. Uh, so so mandatory publishing is an interesting question. I I, I actually and, and this is a, I'm doing it. I'm going to side point. Uh, as a side point, I actually and I'm believe, not stopping you because of the recent criticism. Okay, <laughs> but I actually believe there is a certain amount of ethical obligation you have to make to publish generally useful software. Like there's a moral obligation. I don't think it should be a legal mandatory obligation, but I think there is a moral well, it's, obligation it's, it's to society. Well, it's how you may feel for yourself and, um, you know, and there's, there's good acting, like, you know, there's being a good actor and, and, and going above mm -hmm. and beyond and, and to help society. Yeah. But I, th I think there can be a distinction between what's morally right and what the letter of the law actually requires you to do. Well, and what you, um, and what you should require other people to do is, right. is yeah. completely different. Right. And so the GPL does not require people to distribute. So if I write a GPL, if I write a program myself and decide to distribute it under GPL today, and then I wake up tomorrow morning and say, I don't want to do this anymore. I can take that off my websites, wherever I had it, not ship CDs anymore, not give it to anybody ever again. Now, the question is, what rights do the people have who already got it? Well, they have the rights under GPL. And if I legitimately released it under GPL, i.e. I meant to do it, um, which clearly I did the day I decided to do it because I put it out there and said, here it is mm -hmm. GPL'd, um, and I had the right and power to do it. Well, then each person who and gets And by right and power to do it, you mean that you were, you held all the rights? I had the copyright and yeah. otherwise. Because I think people are permission. confused about that, and there was a little bit of that issue in this too. Right. Well, I, I didn't see much of that, but I guess it was sort of... There was a lot of confusion and, about it. Yeah, confusion about it, right? So, so uh, the, the classic example of where it might be illegitimately released under GPL, if some rogue employee takes some code from some company, you know, company foo, and they are an employee of company foo. They don't ask anybody. They don't have the authority to distribute company foo stuff. They're supposed to just be working on it at their desk, at their employer. They're not supposed to take anything home or away. And they say, I'm going to put this on the internet under the GPL. Well, that's not a legitimate release under GPL. That, that person had no authority. He's not the copyright holder because he, it was a work for hire working for his company. So he doesn't have a legitimate right to put it under GPL without permission. Yeah, another example is uh, is in the incompatible licensing situation where... Oh, because you have a contradiction. Mm -hmm. right? But in a case where it's my authorship, I have the right to do it and I put yep. it out there. The next person who gets it has the rights under GPL. And, and the GPL is an ir irrevocable license. You can't take back rights that were legitimately passed under GPL to somebody else. They have those permissions. And those permissions live on no matter. And it doesn't stop the person to go and license it under different terms. Correct. And, and that's, and that's sort of the proprietary relicensing business model that I've talked about before. Uh, and that's a whole nother can of worms that we probably shouldn't get and, into. And this is sort of what it seems to me like, uh, like this developer was trying to do. Or what, I don't actually know if it was a developer well, I, I, ultimately. And, and this but, is what I said in the article. Because I think this person re got the rights from a developer. I, I don't know if, I, I can't remember if the person who distributed was actually, actually a developer or not. Actually, complete confusion. I, I researched this to try to answer uh, Sam's questions. And as I'm quoted in the article as saying, I think that it's not clear what anybody intended here okay. to begin with. Um, and by the time I was asked about it, it had all been resolved. Actually, in fact, on the main website, it now says, by popular request, WinMTR will be available under GPLv2. Well, let's get to that, actually, so. because I think that's an interesting result um, mm -hmm. that, that wound up happening. Um, I thought 
uh, yeah. And I, I thought you were actually referring to the Slashdot article, which is now labeled resolved. Oh, okay, yeah. It's probably labeled resolved because the developer basically mm-hmm. decided, I actually do want to go with GPL. I, whatever I meant in the past, I, I don't well, know what I Well, basically, people got so upset about it based on the, I think, based on the Slashdot posting. Right. Yeah, and and, and yeah. I don't even know if it's true that they that they ever violated the GPL or not. I I I I didn't see any evidence that they were violating. The Just GPL. because you released your code under the GPL in the past doesn't mean you have to continue to right. distribute it. But there was some there was some confusion about whether he was trying to revoke the rights of somebody else. But I saw no evidence that, for example, he sent a letter to someone who had it under GPL and said, "You mm-hmm. no longer have this." I saw no evidence of that. Mm-hmm. I, I think the guy said something confusing on his blog. Saying that he wanted to revoke the GPL. Did he use the word revoke? I saw in some places he had okay. used the word revoke, but it wasn't clear in context if he meant revoke the rights under GPL or just cease distribution. Like he doesn't know. Well, I this think is he didn't something that happens difference. a lot. I think people inadvertently use like legal terms of art, like particularly le- particular legal terms that have meaning to lawyers or have special legal meaning and don't realize it, and they mean it in an ordinary sense that's different. And I find this. All the time, for example, when talking to the IRS, because words that we just use to mean any, you know, just to mean something, I was going to say innocent, but, <laughs> but the, the IRS interprets as, as having like, you know, particular meaning and that you're claiming to do this whole suite of things that you had no intention of doing just because you used a magic word to them. And this is one of those situations mm-hmm. because revoke has particular meaning. Um, with respect to copyright licensing, but he just probably meant I don't want to distribute it he, anymore he, under those terms. Yeah, I, 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 as I said, and people see I'm quoting the article saying I don't know what he meant. <laughs> I, I, I read everything at the time when I did the interview, everything that was available on the internet. I didn't read most of the slash dot comments, I admit, but I read any, anything that was more or less legitimate uh, from you know from first person sources to try and figure out what was going on. I couldn't figure out what he meant. You know, it's only about once a month I allow myself to look at slash dot comments. Well, I only read them on five anyway, if I do read them at all. I didn't even do that in this case, because I decided what people are saying on Slashdot can't be... There's not somebody on Slashdot who actually received distribution of this, I figured. But sometimes it's like a little treat for myself to give myself the... You know, I allow myself to take however much time it is to read every single comment, because it's really like an amazing and enlightening experience, but you can't do it too often. Well, see, when I was interviewed 12 years ago by Slashdot, um, uh, I, I read all the comments on negative one, and... That was pretty bad, and so. Uh, yeah, when the uh, the medical devices paper was. Uh, Do you read everything on negative uh, one? I, well, I read I read everything. Yeah, well, but you can. Yeah, you have no, to I know. Really ask for negative one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I did so. Um, there. The funny thing is, is over time, those negative one, uh, basically anything that's not a one or better gets gets deleted. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. Because all the huh? neg- all the really, I've tried to find the old truly evil negative one comments that people made on my interview years That's ago. That's too bad. Well, I don't think they should do that. Yeah, I mean, it's good that the person who threatened to rape the sister I don't have is his <gasps> comments. On, yeah, yeah, that was one of the negative one comments uh, on my my interview. <laughs> yeah. Oh um, wow. So uh, yeah, so uh, which was funny because I don't have a sister, so. There's nobody to rape. But anyway. Lucky for um, her. Yeah. Lucky for the person that <laughs> Lucky for exist. her, she doesn't exist. Yeah. So so the fact that those kind wow. of comments go away, it's not so bad. But yeah. Boy. Somebody said that on my... Uh, That's amazing. And I had a goat see response as well, which I think everybody got in those days. Uh-huh. Huh. So, yeah. Um, Where were we? Yeah. I, yeah. But the goat see thing was just the goat see image and then, <laughs> and then the word boring, which... Boring was not such a bad comment. If they had a nasty <laughs> image, it would have been a fine comment. If they thought it was boring, it's boring, right? 
I, I thought my my interview turned out very poorly. I, I, I my interview on Slashdot from those years ago. It is a great example of what happens when you let PR people control what you say. And it's one of the reasons, like, I basically won't let PR people. It's actually one of the fundamental things that happened to me early in my career that made me decide never to let PR people. Oh, see, that's too bad because I think the right PR person can help a lot. It could be true, but but I worked with, um, and you'll see her as a co-author on the medical devices paper with Lysandra Alstrom, and she, I think, she really influenced me positively about the way that I interact with the press. Yeah, but Lysandra is more of a journalist than she is a, a PR person in some ways. I think. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely the perspective she was coming from. Yeah. I mean, but she asked so many questions that it wouldn't have even occurred to yeah. me to ask. It was great. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm for that. It was just uh, when somebody else has editorial control over what you're saying, and then that's what gets published. That's what really sucks. Like somebody basically, you write you write stuff, and then somebody else edits it to be the PR ver- PR'd version. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what my interview is. But sometimes, you know, I don't know, maybe it's just my my lawyerly view, but sometimes when people ask me to review things that they're going to publish or release to the press, there are some things that do that the person who is the main person involved with that issue can't see would not yeah. be interpreted that way. Yeah, I'm not opposed well. so, to to feedback. So PR people can be very useful. I well You I'm sorry you had a bad experience. Yeah. But but it shouldn't. I mean, it, it doesn't. It doesn't have to be that way, Bradley. No, it's, it's, uh, I, <laughs> and actually, one of the, the criticisms and... that I think free software organizations and projects have had generally is that we don't have great PR overall, and that makes it much harder to convey our message. Well, yeah, I think that criticism's valid in the sense that that it's it's really hard when you go to most projects' website to find answers to things like what does it do and. And what oh, is, who's yeah. it for? And 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 I actually was Which looking is at so, a project. I mean, recently. it's so necessary for so many reasons, including yeah. including the patent er- you know arena for prior art. Yeah, well, I was looking for a project recently, and and it took. I, I see. I know how to read developer speak, right? Because I'm a developer, so I was able to find the answers I wanted. But I looked at it, and I was like, if anybody else looked at the site that's not a developer, they they wouldn't be able to figure out what this project is mm-hmm. for. Um, and I was able to dig deep enough. There have been pl- there have been times when uh, projects have asked for legal assistance that it's taken me like twenty minutes to figure out what what they do based on their website. Yeah, so, so funny. So Even that, though they think they thought they had sent what they did in the email. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so, but but um, I I think I think the real story of, of this issue is is this confusion about about issues related to GPL and the fact that the the entire internets, I guess. I mean, I'm more talking Slashdot here, but it was, there was other people involved in the debate on other blogs and stuff, not on Slashdot, that you can basically have a debate over something so simple that I see is so simple. It's like, it's like, did he mean to revoke it or did he mean to not distribute it? And, uh, and nobody even asked him that, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody, nobody came to his blog and said, wait, the way you're writing, it sounds like you mean you don't want to distribute it anymore. Or are you actually saying you want to revoke the license that people already have it? Like nobody asked him a pointed question like that, which I think probably would have shut it down. Cause I think my, my, I'm like 60 40 on this, but my 60% feeling is the guy meant to say he didn't want to distribute it under GPL anymore. Mm-hmm. He would have said that and said like, what well, people have it under GPL already. They can do whatever they want, but I'm never releasing GPL version again. But I don't think that people think about it. I don't think that I, I, he may not have thought about it in those terms. He may have just said, thought like, Oh, well, going forward, I want to release under a different license. Yeah, which and, is and, not, and, not revoke and still not speech. and still not gone and said, well, people who have it under GPL already have it because yeah. they probably just didn't even think about it. 
Right. He, well, he probably didn't know enough to understand. I mean, that's and that's sort of the scary part of this is that, and, and this is one of the things that trouble. I've never come to a right conclusion about this, um, and uh, I'm going to give him credit for it because uh, he, I know he wouldn't mind me giving credit. Dave Turner once pointed this out to me. Uh, I used to work with him at the FSF. He works for uh, for uh, the Open Planning Project now as a developer. But he pointed out to me once that most developers want easy to understand summaries of the licenses and they don't want to read the licenses and they don't want to see the level of nuance that's there with a lot of these issues. Yeah. And I Not have just a certain- developers. That's with creative Commons. Sorry for interrupting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what the, the creative commons, you know, approach is all about. And mm-hmm. people like it like all around mm-hmm. people don't want to get pulled into the legal nuances. Yeah. Well, and, and it troubles me that, that somebody, I, you know, I, I'm going to go out on a limb here with this guy and say there's a chance he probably didn't read the GPL in a lot of detail before his initial release under GPL. Mm-hmm. And he probably didn't even know the, the the nuances about this kind of thing. And he didn't research them before choosing a license. And I kind of feel like as much as I'm a copyleft advocate, I don't want anybody to pick a copyleft license like GPL without understanding what it is. Like, I don't want anybody That's to pick true, a license. But it is a complex. I mean, both two and three are complex licenses. And it takes a lot of time and effort, it, you know, to really understand every point. I mean, or not even all of the salient points. So I had this idea once of writing what I was going to call the hacker's guide to GPL. And I still think about doing that project. It, it was never you, clear to me whether it was worth doing. Do you think that would be, um, how would it be different from the FSF FAQs, which well, I find very helpful? Well, the problem with the FSF to point FAQs people to. is they, they have a sort of needle in a haystack effect in the sense that, that nobody actually sits down. Well, I did when I first when we first started keeping it. Um, but uh, but the first time I did it was only five questions or something. But uh, no, most people don't read from the beginning to end and read the whole thing. And it's not a coherent narrative from beginning to end anyway. No, it's but a if you skim the questions, questions, I mean, I don't know, maybe because I'm a lawyer, I already knew, you know, it, it seems like it's more comprehensive than it, maybe it is. Yeah, I, I, I think, I think the, the trouble is that, that, and, and, and so, and the reason I've never written this and, and actually Brett Smith at FSF and I talked about doing this once. We're actually kind of talking about doing it again. Uh, but the reason I never really put my heart into the project of doing it is I looked at what happened with the rationale documents that were published during mm-hmm. GPLv3. And, um, ooh, do I want to admit this? Um, I never read fully the last one myself. And right. And so when I think about the fact that I didn't even read the last one all the way through, because the last one, everything was sort of decided. So it was like, but that's, you're also a little bit different because you were sort of, you had an, you had an inside track on what was happening. The thing is, the reason I didn't read it, it was, it was TLDR, right? I mean, that's in the end, I sort of thought, well, I probably know. I find those rationale documents very interesting. And I come to them from now and again, when an issue has come up, but because they were written so in the moment, they're tough to use as an enduring yeah, Work but the thing is, is I'm worried about anything that we might try to write to explain any sort of concept to people is going to be TLDR, right? That's that's what I worry about. Like, it's impossible to write anything that's not TLDR, sort of by definition. I mean, there's a summary in the um, the SFLC legal issues primer, but it's very high level. Yeah, that's just sort of. To, I mean, that, I know exactly the clauses you're talking about. It, it basically it helps people who that 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 text because we are talking about an introduction for, for people who don't know to somebody who's new to copyleft. Yeah, that's a great introduction for somebody who's to- never heard of copyleft before. Mm-hmm. But most people in our community have heard of copyleft, and they know it's they know share and share alike, all that sort of thing. 
But, well, there are some discussions of other provisions in in there too. Yeah, but, but it's 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 nowhere near the level of detail to catch something even like this, like this revocability. And are you allowed to distribute any further? But I don't think you would get to this anyway in a in a in a high level FAQ. There are just too many. There are too many important points that you would want to cover. So is it? A, is I mean, it, it, we could talk about every single section in great detail, and that's what we wind up doing. And that's why there are you know books written about this stuff. I mean, but so what do we build? What do we build to help people? And, I, and I've been thinking about this question a lot. Our RMS, RMS and people read my my dense. No, I, I I had uh, I saw RMS came through New York last week, and we we talked about this, and and I was telling him that one of my concerns is that there's sort of this history of thought about how copyleft works, how GPL works, policy decisions that either FSF has made or or the community has made sort of as a consensus-based thing. And none of that's documented, first of all, in any sort of real way other than the brains of most of the people who've been involved with it. And um, there's no roadmap to, to start to learn that stuff, right? It's like, I remember when Fontana first started working on GPLv3 and, and it was just a firehose thing. Uh, and people were just telling him stuff and he's told me this before that, that he just started having to hear everything and then figure it out. And, and right. And, and he and I used to talk about writing some sort of book that explained all this to somebody. But the thing is, it's really hard to write and it's hard to know well, and the how problem to introduce is, is somebody. That a lot of this stuff winds up being legal advice and you can't, you can't post generalizations about a lot of some of these things because they're interpreted differently depending on the situation. Yeah, I'm not even talking about. So I'm sort of thinking more in terms of what you see in like IRS documents, where where, where this situation you mean like a guidance came, document. Yeah, like this the 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 the, the pub the pubs the pub whatever whatever. Mm-hmm. I was I've read them for, for for my work in conservancy and and those they always have things that that say basically. Uh, here's an example that came and up. I and always find them resolved. so useless because by the time I'm, if I didn't understand the basic text, the example they give is not, is never on point. Well, like it's always, so maybe it's, it's always, it's always the obvious thing that you would think of when you looked at it. I mean, right, occasionally but, there's something more the in there, like an unrelated about, right? business this, income this actually has more in it. This situation came up, right? And and as I was saying, uh, saying when we started telling, when I started telling the story, um, this I've seen the situation like five times in my free software career. Basically, exactly the same situation where release, taking back, take back release, what does take back mean, etc. Like that's happened plenty of times, right? And it's been talked about publicly. It was public when it happened, right? And people's comments were public. My comments here are public. RMS's comments in other cases have been public and posted the mailing list, right? It, it was all, it's not like it was, it was secretive legal okay, advice. Here's the it thing. was situations that got resolved that were never documented. Can you use a search engine to check on GPL revocability? And what does it, and what does it pull up? Because I, I think what you're saying is that all of this information is already available and should you put it all in one place? But the question is, will anybody look at it? And the truth is that if you, you know, if that information's already there and people can readily find it, then putting it in another place isn't necessarily going to be useful. See, what I find when I, when I so I did a search for GPL revoke, mm-hmm. right? And I find a bunch of people well, obviously, I find the story that just happened. Um, <laughs> actually, no, this is an old one. This is not the most recent one. This is one of these old ones I was talking about. It, it sure is. Surely is. That's this is one I forgot about. Yeah. So they happen. So so I find more examples of the same. Mm-hmm. I find um, somebody confused between blogging about being confused between I think dual license. Oh, actually, I know who this guy is. Um, yeah, he's he's um, he's a pundit, so he's actually writing so he's writing an article to be goofy. Um, so uh, so then there's this article on LWN about the discussion about it, right? But I bet you it's all discussion. 
Okay, well, this links so, to the Grokla article. Yeah, which is, which is. Yeah, this is. Well. Yeah, this is a full discussion about it, and it's not legal advice, but. Yeah, but still, the thing is, is that. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. If anyone were really interested, they would be able to find it already. <laughs> is what I'm saying, and you'll add to the, you know, I, it's not to say it's not a useful thing. I think if you have the time, you should do it. I just, well, I, I mean, from my perspective, I find that a lot of what whatever we, it's very hard when we try to write summaries of things because it's hard to anticipate the perspective of the person reading it. Yeah, I mean, I, I just sort of want to understand. I just want to understand. I found an article, actually, I want to read. Uh, That's why when you hear Bradley fading out and becoming softer, yeah. it's because he found something interesting I, I to I need look to read at. that article that we just found. I don't want to say You're it. still I, facing I, away. Okay, sorry. I want to read that article I just found because uh, I, I want to see what it says. Um, but I don't want to say what it is until I've read it. <laughs> um, so maybe it will be linked in the show notes and maybe not. Yeah. So, well, <laughs> I mean, if it's... If, it, it could be really good. It could be really bad. It's like, it's totally polarized. Um, anyway, so... Um, I forgot what I was gonna say. Oh, so I, I, the, the problem the, it's 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 more of a roadmap issue than it is. I I, I think that I, I sort of think about what if somebody wanted to earnestly learn how to do this, right? And so so I, I just I just made a poker analogy. So I talk about poker. So this this thing actually I'm not a big fan of it because they most of them use Flash, which is proprietary software. But there are these advent of poker training sites that people want to learn poker, and they design the courses so that somebody who's just starting can take a that like they can get bite sized nuggets to learn, and that's why they've been successful is because people at any level can sort of come in and pick the right level. Another example is language courses, right? You take a placement test. And once you take the placement test, they put you at more or less the right level. And there's a series of courses you can take to get better at the language. Um, we don't have anything about that, about free software policy issues. And I'm not just talking about license. I'm just talking about the general types of policy questions. I, I, I see people like Quaid writing stuff for how to run projects. And Carl Fogel's book does that. But that's more about the the, the community aspect of running a project. Um, and these other issues are sort of side points, these policy questions that have happened. Um, I, it, I, I, it, there's no way for somebody who doesn't know anything or, or, or knows something and doesn't know what they don't know to, to, to have in bite-sized nuggets a way to say, if I study this article over the weekend, I will be past the 201 level or whatever of understanding. Yeah, I mean, you should do it. I just think there there is a lot of information out there. And I don't know, as as we'll see, I, I would like to publish more, um, you know, and I try to, to publish as, you know, as much as I can when I see that there's something that we can do. But it's tough to try to provide legal advice and also be trying to publish information that's helpful to the general public. Right, but I, again, I, I think that this is not... I guess because you're a lawyer, you keep taking it back to legal questions. I, I don't think this is just about legal questions. But the GPL is a license. This is copyright law. Almost everything that you've mentioned already is an example of what to discuss is a legal issue. Yeah, but I mean, it, it's not. It's it, it's 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 policy questions as well. It's questions about about licensing mm, policy. About, I don't know. Yeah. When you're talking about how to get people up to speed, it's really how do things work. And all of those questions are legal ones. Yeah, I don't, I don't. And I'm then the policy discussion follows from that. Because decisions, well, I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't, I don't think the law comes first and policy comes second. I don't agree with that. Well, I don't, I mean, I think so that's, rap, that's an actually. exaggeration of what I no, said okay. anyway. But, um, but I think when you're talking about how to get people up to speed on the, on different aspects of the GPL, I mean, it's a, it's a license. So uh, discussion about what these terms mean, 
or how the license works and how to use it are legal questions. That's exactly the problem. I think that's exactly the problem. It's that the attitude towards GPL has been a question of what is, so, so I'm going to, I'm going to interrupt myself to, to, to talk about the kinds of talks I, I used to give back in the day, which I would always talk about the intent of the GPL, what it was trying to do. Um, basically the spirit of the license. And I think that, that, there's no walkthrough of how the spirit of what copyleft was trying to do has been developed over the years, right? So, so well, there and, are Stallman's, I mean, Stallman's writings about it, which are great. But the thing is, is that is that Richard Richard doesn't write that often uh, on issues, and, and and a lot of the mundane. So, a lot of negative things can be said about Richard, but but one thing is true: he is a genius, and there's no question about that. And so, a lot of things that are obvious to Richard are not obvious to other people. And I, I so he doesn't write on those. He doesn't write on the things that are obvious to him. He just doesn't. And but so, uh, he yeah. does write about these basic policy issues of, of you know, what is copyleft and why would you want to use it? But when you're talking about... No, like, not why what would is, you want to use it. Why, why does... Why, why did... Why did... Why, for example, does does this particular provision of GPL written this way? Right? I was just having a conversation. About, I was just having a conversation with RMS two weeks ago where... He, I asked him a question of why he did something in GPLv3, and he gave me an answer that he completely surprised me. I didn't know that's why he did it, right? It was never written down. It was never documented. It wasn't like he was trying to keep it a secret. And well, then you should interview. Well, then you should interview him and and publish it. I mean, but well, that's I'm different. That's sort of like that's sort that. of like legislative history. I mean, but when we're talking about is the GP, you know, is this license revocable? How is it written? How does it, you know, I mean, these are things, the, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not saying that I'm, I really don't want to discourage you because I think you should pursue this. I just, I just think if you're trying to think that if you're thinking of this as non-legal issues, I think you're wrong. Well, but the, the legal issue. So just in this example, we were talking about today, the legal issue in it is, is, is actually a kind of small part of it, right? Because it's a confusion about two concepts, which one of which is a legal concept. I agree. Uh, maybe both of which are legal concepts, but the, the policy issues around it are the confusion and the types of sort of weird community pressure that happened over the thing. That, that's what's happening. I think the confusion is what does the license say and how does it work? And did this guy understand what he was doing and what is he actually doing? So what are the facts? What is the license and how do those two things work together? And I don't disagree with you that there's confusion all over the map, but when you talk about the core of this issue, that's what it is. Your, I don't, I, you, you sound you sound like basically you've been brainwashed by law school when you say that. I, no, because that's I, not how that's a law school way of looking at these questions. I think that there. I think the GPL. Is, I mean, it 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 is a lot of things, but it is a copyright license. But it doesn't exist merely to be a license, right? It but exists. we are talking about its functionality as a license. But okay, the point is. It's ve for example, it's very easy to have these minor infraction violations of GPL, and they happen all the time, right? And they never get enforced, and they don't get enforced because it's a policy question, right? It's well, this is my this is my ongoing issues. argument with Spot about how AGPL can you can like magically violate the AGPL, and you can talk to Fontana yeah. about the you know about the customs of the free software community as outside of the legal framework. But when it comes down to it, I really do think that we're talking about legal issues. I think that's a good place to end. <laughs> I think we're talking about policy issues, and I think that's a good place to end. 
Okay, I mean, I'm not disagree that there's a policy component, but I think that they are. It's 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 from the it's from a legal it's from a legal perspective talking about legal concepts. So there you have it. <laughs> okay. Well, All right. I, I, um, well, um, our listeners will be happy to know that this is something we we um, we didn't pre-discuss any of this episode. Why would they be happy to know that? Because we were told not to. Oh, well, one listener said that. One, I thought two listeners said that. Oh, maybe they did. Yeah. Um, so it was it was fresh. Okay. <laughs> we disagreed. We conclude in disagreement. <laughs> All right. So, so I, I'm desperate to get the last word in, but I'm just going to stop for it. Free and Freedom is produced by Dan Lynch of halfbakemedia.com. Thanks to Mike Tarantino for our theme music. Free and Freedom is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Please provide any feedback to oddcast at faif.us. But you did just get the last word. But now you have it. <laughs>